Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. So welcome to uh, Getting Published, Query Letter to Contract. Um, I guess we'll start just introducing ourselves. Do you want to get us started? So I'm SJ Shower. I'm the, I am independently published at this time. I have been with traditional small presses in the past. Um, I write the Spiral War series, Spiral Universe, Spiral War Universe series of books. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Serena Ulibari. I have, I'm the author of two novellas. Uh, both are published with a small press, two different small presses, actually, which have been two different experiences. Um, I've also published about 50 short stories, um, and I run a small press called Worldweaver Press that mainly focuses on short fiction anthologies, uh, like themed anthologies, and I've run that for about the last eight years. Um, so I could probably recite short fiction contracts to you in my sleep uh, between being published and publishing others. Um, so yeah, I can talk about it both from the editor side and the, um, and the author side, but mainly my experience is small press. Um, and I'm Beth Dolbner. I write paranormal fiction and nonfiction. Um, I'm kind of all over the map. I'm having done fiction and nonfiction. I am traditionally published. I am indie uh, published. Uh, so yeah, pretty much the whole thing. Um, so let's start with, I guess we'll start with you, SJ, SJ, right? Yeah. Um, kind of for, for your path to publishing, both on the indie side and the small press side, kind of how did you get hooked up like with that small press and what was your process? So I was writing for years and just really unfocused. I, I had an idea of a story I wanted to write and I kept writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it. And then at one point when I discovered KDP, the early version of KDP, I'm like, you know what, to heck with it, I'm just going to, you know, I sent out query letters and query letters and always was getting rejected. And I just finally said, um, you know what, the heck with it, I'm just going to do it. And I really should not have. <laughs> the book uh, was really not ready. It was, there were parts of that book that I wrote in high school and had never touched again. And it was bad. Um, but I've never really given it to anybody to look at. And that's one of the first things I'll say to people. Give it to people to read. Give it to beta readers. Find somebody else. Not your family. Not your friends. Um, there's plenty of like writing groups and writing websites out there that will give you advice and that kind of thing. Um, and it was like not doing anything. And then finally somebody left a really scathing review on it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is terrible. This is absolute garbage. And um, I took it back and I rewrote it. Well, I was getting ready to, I was rewriting it, working with a couple other authors to edit it. 
and getting, we were kind of like working on a thing together, like, hey, let's get together, let's do a small press together, let's release it together, you know, we'll, we'll do our own things. And uh, I had a whole marketing plan all laid out with a uh, podcast I was working with, and then the podcast went away, and I lost my entire marketing plan. <laughs> And, but at the same time, I was doing a bunch of reviews. I would do reviews on my way, way old, like Blogspot website. And um, through that uh, podcast, as it was fading away, they would send me books to review. And I reviewed a anthology of short stories. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, and the publisher reached out to me and said, hey, we really liked that you didn't just review the anthology, you reviewed every story in the anthology. Because most anthologies reviews are like, well, here, here's this great anthology with some stories are great and some stories are not so great, but you know, the, in all the whole, it's a great thing. And I went through and I reviewed every single one. And he's like, I really appreciated that. And he's like, well, would you like to do some reviews of other books we've got coming out? And I said, you know what? Sure. And I was already getting ready to self-publish at this point. I was, I had created covers, I had worked with artists, I was getting ready to go. And, um, but I said to him, the acquisition editor, I said, hey, I'm so right. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, send me your book. Sent it to him. And he was really impressed. He liked it. He's like, hey, it needs editing. We have a good editor on staff, really nice lady. Um, and she edited it, edited the books, really loved it. Um, and they redid the covers, and I absolutely hated the covers. <laughs> uh, that is that is always going to be a sore spot for me. I hated the covers they did; they were atrocious. Um, not to say that the covers I did were particularly fantastic, but um, <laughs> but I because I designed all my own ships and stuff. I said, "Look, I have the assets; I can." give you the visual assets. And they had also promised me a certain cover artist, a you know, fairly famous cover artist in England. And I'm like, okay, hey, awesome. You know, and no, they did it themselves. And I'm like, really? <laughs> um, and then after about a year, the acquisitions editor got fired. He got into a, a fight with the owner of the publishing house and he got fired. And the new owner really didn't want to do sci-fi. He despised sci-fi. And he's like, I he, he straight up said to me one time, I would never have acquired your books. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I'm like, am I going to get any of the support I was promised, that I was contracted for? Um, and he's like, well, yes. But he, it was the absolute minimum. Because he just did not like sci-fi. And I'm like, really poisoned the well in terms of small presses for me. And then I saw where it was going because I was talking to some of the other authors and they were like, yeah, they're going downhill fast. Um, they are like hemorrhaging money. They are going to close. Uh, he's in poor health. His daughter wants to just liquidate the whole thing. And I'm like, okay. And I spoke to a couple other authors who've been with small presses that went under. And they're like, buy your rights back now. Um, because otherwise you're going to be in litigation hell for years until you can get it back. Yes. And I said, okay. And I'm like, how much to get my rights back? 
And he's like, oh, well, and he, he gave me a, a number. And I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I know you have not put that much money into this. And um, he's like, well, you can't prove it, blah, blah, blah. And I spoke to one of the other authors. He's like, oh, no, no, it's this much. Because he had just done the same thing. He had, he had one book. I had three books on contract, and then they had right of first refusal on every other book in the series. And we were getting ready to release book four. And I'm like, so what do we do? And he's just like, ah, he, we agreed to a number. I got my rights back. And I sat there and said, I'm going to do a relaunch. I'm going to put new covers on. But I wanted to do it right away. So the first book, I did the cover on. And it was more what I wanted, but it looked like an author engineer did it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't. It was better than what it was. The second one, I didn't have the time to really redo that, and I just said there was one key thing on that cover I hated. The guy had a head that was like this tiny, and he's like, "This was his head," <laughs> and I'm like, "No," because he gave me the files. I expanded his head. And it had like generic ship number 52 on the cover. And I'm like, nope, pull that out, throw in the actual assets, worked with some artist friends of mine, rejiggered it. And I'm like, there we go, that goes out. The third cover was actually one I had commissioned from an artist friend. So I'm like, yeah, that just goes back. That, that's beautiful. But I was getting ready to launch the fourth book and I kept the editor. That was like the best thing out of that experience. I kept the editor. Not the greatest editor, not the worst editor, but they were cheap and they did a good job. <laughs> I was on a budget. And um, uh, went to my artist and I'm like, hey, how much for recovery? He's like, I'm too busy right now. He's like, I'm going to be busy for the next two years on projects. And I'm like, oh, what? And I went on DeviantArt and found an artist I liked. I found four artists, sent them to him, and I said, which one? He's like, this one. And I commissioned that artist for the next two books to do covers on. And I loved his covers. Covers were awesome. Um, launched, did the next two books, and then during COVID, um, this author friend of mine was starting up a small press, and she was hosting a bunch of virtual conventions. And I did a couple panels and virtual signings, which was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, you're just pimping your ebook. And getting people to buy your ebook live, and then you're sending them like a little JPEG of a signature. <laughs> so, it was so weird and um, it was so surreal. But she was starting up a small press, and um, she was fairly successful in independently publishing her own stuff. Um, her partner worked in film, so it was like, hey, we had the film connections. I'm like, hey, this is going to be awesome, right? You know, so we. We relaunch, we redo the logos, we all the covers get redone, um, re-edited, and um, we relaunch the first four books, five books, um, in rapid succession, rapid relaunch. Um, and that was going pretty good for about a year, and then they reach out to me, they're like, look, we're not hitting the sales we thought we were. We did this movie project that's not giving us, that's not getting the return we thought we would. And they're like, um, we're just giving you rights back. And I'm like, are you sure? They're like, yeah. They're like, look, just for the last quarter, if you don't mind, we're just gonna keep the profits in the last quarter because we need it to just kind of stay afloat. And I'm like, you know what, you're my friend, yes. I commissioned her for the cover of the sixth book 
And um, when I do the seventh book, I'm going to have her do the cover because it's the same style. Yeah. I want to keep that same style throughout. <clears throat> um, and she also, I paid her to do the uh, the layout on the interior. And um, it was about 80% there when I sent it to her to lay out. And she just did the last kind of... Um, the biggest complaint I got on the sixth book when I released it was there were a couple editing mistakes that did get caught and that's because I self-edited again and because I did an experiment and cringe please you're gonna cringe when I say this I used Grammarly <laughs> <laughs> well what I did was I took a chapter an unedited chapter from book four or five and compared it to what the editor did and what Grammarly kicked out. And it was about 95% there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to cringe. I think Grammarly is a very useful tool. I, but I say that to some authors, and they're just like, whoa, no, 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 you have to hire an editor. You have to hire an editor. And I spoke to one professional editor who's like, actually, I, I do use it, and then I just do another read through. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a good tool. It's a good tool. Why would I not use a good tool? So I'm like, okay, book seven when I finish it. Um, <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll do a Grammarly pass, do a reread, pass through and do it. Because they're like, my first editor laughed. was like, yeah, you're a pilot, right? Yeah. You're an aerospace engineer, right? Yeah. You used the wrong hanger. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we've all been there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you put you run it through spell check. And spell check's like, well, hanger. And it's like, it sees the misspelling of hanger. And you're like, okay, well, fix all. <laughs> Uh, fix all. No, fix all is bad. It is very difficult to edit your own work mm -hmm. because you know what it's supposed to say. Mm -hmm. So you go through it and you just skip right over it. And it's like, oh, how did I write that? I'm such an idiot. You're, you're not an idiot. You're just looking at 100,000 words, 120,000 words, mm -hmm. and you just don't have the focus to. Mm -hmm. And that's why beta readers are very important, even if you're independently published. Find a beta reader. Find somebody you trust who's going to be like, uh, you know you echoed, and echoing the thing that I have a bad habit of. And for those who don't know what echoing is, it's like repeating the statement, but in a different way. Because you're just stream of consciousness writing, and you're like, da, da, da. it's like, you know. And then somebody reads it, it's like, why did you say this twice? And I'm like, I didn't say it twice. It's <laughs> <laughs> so easy so, to do, especially if you're writing in a hurry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So one trick you can do is change your font and your font size and then read it. And then also have your word processor read it out loud to you. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I've done the, the thought thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and when you hear it, you're like, oh. So I've those also, are two tricks. I've also heard the tip of reading it backwards. Yeah, you know, most people are not willing to go line by line through. Well, we're not line by line, but you go, okay, you take a chunk and then you read it, and then you go back a chunk, then you read it forward, yeah. go back a chunk. Mm. Yeah. Because that gets you out of the story that you're telling. You're so the problem is if you've written it and you've designed it, you know where it is anyway. Mm. <laughs> well, it's always like one of the things I had, like I put a mystery in one of them, and I'm like, to me, it, Glares. It's like spotlights. Spotlight. And I'm like, when I asked the beta, I was like, did you see it? Did you see it? Did it surprise you? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm good. <laughs> so, Serena, you, I mean, I guess for you, it's kind of a chicken and the egg question. You are both an author and a publisher. So, which came first for you? Well, I have been publishing short fiction for a long time. Um, I started getting short stories published in about uh, 2011. 
and uh, then I um, I was hired as an assistant editor at, um, at the small press that I now run in 2014. So I guess um, yeah, I was, I was hired hired as an assistant editor, and then in 2016, all of a sudden the publisher said, "I'm done. I'm burnt out. We're closing down." And uh, I was like, whoa, 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 we just signed a whole bunch of new contracts. Like, we have these series that are in the middle. Like, what, what's going on? And, I can um, run it. <laughs> and, well, yeah, so, you know, I was like, can't, <laughs> uh, what, would it, what would it cost to, you know, for, you to, for you to sell me the press? And it was like nothing. And so I was like, fine, I will, I will be the savior. I will, I will jump in and take over the press. But I was only an assistant editor at the time, so like I had, I had worked with the words on a couple of books. I didn't know how to do cover design. I didn't know how to do formatting. I didn't know how to calculate royalties. I didn't. Know yeah, that was, any I was of that my stuff. next question. This is like, did you know what you were really getting into? No, not a clue. Not a clue. And so I took over and had to learn that stuff really fast. And you know, the first the first author that I worked with did not have a good experience <laughs> and I learned with each each book and you know when I got and I got to a point where you know I did feel like I knew what I was doing but uh, yeah I learned a whole bunch of new skills really quickly yeah so has it, been uh, <laughs> has it been worth it are you glad you did it yeah I'm, I'm glad I did it I'm, I'm done with it now like I, I am now ramping it down but I'm ramping it down slowly and gracefully and you know do and not in the big fiery ball that so many small presses go out with yeah. you know but you know now at this point like I've, I've run it for eight years I we I accomplished what I wanted to you know I did the best I could for for the authors and you know and then did some uh, anthology projects that got a lot of like international attention and um, and so yeah I, I think it was a good thing um, and uh, and so yeah so I guess being a publisher came first um, but uh, the um, so th this book was just published this year uh, by Stella Foreign Press, which is a small press in Canada. And this book I had queried um, to agents in 2019 and uh, got a lot of like requests, but then no offers. And um, I shelved it. And then in uh, 2021, one of my beta readers, or my, my critique partners rather, I should say, um, critiquer, um, pointed out uh, this small press that was having a, an open open call and said, you know, you should really send your Death Valley book to this because the book takes place in Death Valley because it really seems like it fits. And so I hemmed and hawed over it and then um, pulled the book out, looked at it, realized why the agents did not accept it, <laughs> and uh, rewrote it, you know, almost almost completely uh, in just a couple months and. Um, Cut it from an 89,000 word novel to about a 40,000 word novella. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Cut out all the superfluous, you know, subplots and combine some characters and things like that. Really brought it down to what the core story was. Uh, sent it to so the you small were press. vicious with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about killing your darling. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, metaphorical machete to it. So, um, but sent it to the small press and they, and they accepted it. Um, so, uh, but I also, you know, as I was rewriting, I was also really tailoring it to what that small press did. And, you know, it was already close to what they wanted, and I just, because I knew I was rewriting it to send to them, I really rewrote it for them. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, and it, and it got accepted. Uh, and it, but it was, you know, even though it's a small press, it was still 18 months <laughs> before it came out. 
which is often what it is for you know for traditional publishing. So, uh, and the the editor was actually quite rigorous. Again, uh, we went through like five edit rounds. Oof, wow. Us, and I was sick of it by the time it came out. Like by the time it you know came out and people were wanting me to like read excerpt, I'm like I never want to see it again. You went from eighty nine thousand words down to forty thousand words, and then you go through five edits. Yes. Yes. Wow. I, I know. So you have to think you're done after you go from 89,000 to 40,000 words, yeah. right? Well, and even the, the acceptance was a little bit conditional, even because the, the editor said, I really like this book, but there's something off about the ending. And I, you know, like, can you, can you change this big thing about the ending? And I had to think about that, of course, and be like, is this, you know, is that compromising what I wanted? I decided, no, that actually is a better idea. And that actually is more in line with what I wanted. And I had, I had done the ending in a certain way because of someone in my critique group saying you, you really need more conflict here at the end or something like that. And it's like so it was kind of tacked on. So I knew that we would go through at least some edits, but when it kept coming back and kept coming back, I was like, I'm done, I'm done with this <laughs> So you guys both bring up really good points because you're talking about your your the stuff you wrote in high school. You're talking about you know whittling down your your story. Whether you are going to query an agent or a publisher, or if you're going to indie publish, how do you know when your manuscript is ready? Like, what what is your gauge for that? I mean, I, I usually feel like it's ready when I kind of stop thinking about it all the time. Like when it, when I feel like I've put as much into it as I as I can, and I'm I'm ready to move on to another project. Because when it when it's not done, I keep thinking about it, I keep having to pull out my phone and like go to my notes app and like, okay, I should change this, I should, I should do this, I should add this in. Um, and when I stop doing that, right, and I'm thinking about another project and that's, you know, that's where my mind goes, that's when it feels like it's done to me. Uh, and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, but, but that's when I feel like it's ready for at least, you know, to, to try and, and send it out. And what's your what's your gauge? Um, for me, especially like early on, I was subscribed to an online writers workshop, and that's actually the name of it, online writers workshop. And it was a it was a four fee website, and what it is is it was a bunch of other writers, and you would submit chapter by chapter, and people would review it and edit. And it was supposed to be more reviewing than editing, but we're writers, we edit. Um, but in order to get credit to do it, you have to like, it's like you, for every one you submit, you have to review three. That and makes perfect sense. And it was great because then it made you look back on your stuff and say, well, I just credit this person for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the only risk I would see with something like that is you're pleasing other writers and maybe not soonish readers. And that was one of the other things I did too, is I said, okay, I, I've worked through it with the writers. And I mean, when I first rewrote this, I rewrote the first couple chapters, uh, I don't want to say a dozen times, because it went from this, hi, here's this person and that person, you know, it's like, here's the character list, to, no, I'm just throwing right into it. You know, here's the core characters, other characters are being introduced as they come in more naturally, um, and it, it created a much better progression of how characters went through. Um, I remember I was working with one author on a particular scene of one chapter in book two that we went back and forth on for two months because he disagreed with my math <laughs> i'm like no my math is right and he's like no your math is wrong and finally i sat down and i showed it to him like i'm an engineer i know my math's right oh and, my god you're like, okay yeah you're, 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 well i had characters jumping from 
very close together flotsam and jetsam in space onto a spinning space station. Ah, one of your one of those. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> it was a survival exercise for the characters. And um, I changed it from, well, I can't have them jump out onto the outer spin ring because that's going to kill them. So you're, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't happen to be like an aerospace engineer or something like that? Just <laughs> answer your question. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, all the ships on there I designed. So you um, work for Raytheon, huh? No. Oh, no, okay. No, I'm actually DOD. So okay. I oversee Raytheon and I tell them when they're screwed. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's a job I just started. So, um, But no, it's like it really it comes down to the beta readers. Because I had alpha and beta readers at one point. I had an alpha reader that's like as soon as I finished a chapter, I'd send it to her and say, hey, what do you think? And she'd be like, yeah, you need to change that. And she was Southern, though, so it was a very different perspective than some kid from Arizona, from a guy in Arizona. And she's like, you talk about smell a lot, like body odor. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because it's visceral. It, it, it engages people. It's like, you know, person f- opens up their flight suit and they smell themselves for the first time in three hours. And like, oh, God, <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, she's Southern. She's like, we don't talk about that. I'm like... I'm sorry, you know, this is what pilots do, you know. Yeah, and I'll I'll add what you were saying about, you know, other authors critiquing your work and stuff. Whether it's other authors, beta readers, if you have a content, or, you know, a a, um, story editor, you don't have to take everyone's advice. And I think that is a skill you have to learn, is to gauge, um, well, is this person, is this just their opinion, or is this something that... Uh, you know, the majority of my readers are going to feel. And, and you know your themes better than anybody else, so at a certain right. point, you, you have to make the judgment. That and you, yeah, and you start to know your readership as well, mm-hmm. and kind of know, like, I, I know kind of what, you know, my readers want and don't want in one of my novels. Um, and so, if, and I'll have some of my beta readers, like, one will be like, no, you need to do this, and the other one will be like, no, you need to do this. And it's like, well, I have to go, what... What are my what are my seventy year old ladies gonna like mm-hmm. <laughs> who are reading my books? Um, and so yeah, I think that that's just a matter of learning to discern what advice to take. And, and that's why I was fine with Grammarly because I go, I don't have to take what they suggest. Right? No, but it's a good it's a good way. <laughs> but, to, but, but, but yeah, I, enough times I'd be like, they're like, oh well, you know, this sentence would be better if you did this. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's right. <laughs> So as much as I don't want to admit that the machine is right, you know what? It's right. Sometimes so, right. Yeah. Well, especially when it's talking things like readability. Yeah. And it's like, to you, it reads fine. But to some 20-year-old kid who's never, or, you know, 60-year-old grandma, who's not an expert in that field, they're like, what? But that's one of the things that I, I mean, because outside of publishing this, I work on a lot of documents and reports. And I'm like, I, I'll get stuff from engineers and go, Okay, now rewrite it so a business major can understand it. And they're just like terrified of that aspect. Because I'm like, sorry, it's not an engineer who does the final approval. It's the business majors. So that lowest common denominator, right? Yeah, but because I hate you're to put an it engineer, that way. don't you have because you're an engineer, don't you have readers that aren't engineers to you know, because of course you you as an engineer know what it says, but some. But one of the things that I specialized in. Walmart doesn't. <laughs> but one of the things that I've always specialized in throughout my engineering career is, okay. Hi, engineers. What's this say? Okay, no. Now I'm going to turn it into something that a colonel will understand, and a business major will understand. And um, oh, hi, pass. Hi, passive voice. You're going away. Oh, yes. oh passive voice. 
I had to, I did a full flight test report and scrubbed all the passive voice out of it. Got it totally to tongue and quill standards. All the passive voice was gone. Sent it to the colonel. Colonel sends it back, says put the passive voice back in. And I'm like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> just kill me now. Well, no, I mean, there's there's technical fields that want the passive voice. And it's just right. Uh, uh, I'm thinking about, like, biology papers. And they all want the passive voice. And it's just like... You're, you're making this unreadable because you yes. want to pretend that anybody who does this thing will have the same result. Mm -hmm. okay. well, I think we're kind of off the description. Uh, oh, yeah. oh sorry. I, I, well, no, it's okay. But what I like to kind of hear is like, if you're going to tell to someone to, how to go from unpublished to this is a part-time career or a full-time career, like what would be the path? I've read things like Oh, you publish locally, then you kind of go regionally, then you try to go nationally, blah, blah, blah. Like, what, what, is, a, what is a good path for someone, like, just to take and try? Uh, th this is going to sound like a non-answer, but the right path for you. Um, okay. If you are interested in, in publishing it yourself, it is a great deal of work. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer it because I, a, I get more money every time I sell a book, but also I have much more control. Um, like I just recently rebranded my original series of brand new covers. I even changed the genre um, because the genre has, has shifted from what it was when I first originally published it. Um, it. It was paranormal romance 10 years ago and now paranormal romance is really spicy and my books no longer fit that category. Um, so now it's urban fantasy. But um, but if you do want to get a publisher, um, then I, again, you have a decision to make. Do you want to go with, with a small press um, do you want to go with a hybrid publisher where, you know, um, kind of you're, you're both, you've both got some skin in the game, or do you want to try and go after one of the bigger traditional publishers? Um, and I think part of it is, is how, how long do you want to wait before you see your published book in your hands? Um, because I know for me with my, uh, originally with my urban fantasy series, I wanted to get it traditionally published and I went through the whole process of getting an agent to represent me and then she was shopping it around, you know, and, and it was just a long, long, long process. And then unfortunately she wound up having to retire because of health issues. And so I, you know, broke my ties with the agency and published it on my own. Um, but I, it's just, there's so many things to consider about how much work you want to do yourself, um, how much what kind of timeline you're looking at for what you want to publish. So I would say it's really depending on your goals as to what you want to do. And that, that. Can we just go back one step? Sure. Um, okay, how do you even, you know, you say, okay, maybe I want to self-publish, maybe I want to go there. How do you find the, the publisher to begin with? Um, there are some, like you were talking about being a subscriber to Writer's Digest. Mm -hmm. There's some great um, guidebooks out there. Like uh, there's a guide to agents, literary agents that tell you, um, what kind of work they're looking for, what genres, and how to submit things to them. There's also a, a book that is publishers, and you can go through and, and find out. But a lot of publishers, I don't know about small press necessarily, but a lot of publishers don't want you, the writer, directly contacting yeah. them. They want your agent contacting them. But again, the books will have that information. What are they called? It's the, the slush uh, pile. 
No, I mean the, oh. the books, though, that publish all those Oh, oh the, the book, uh, the big book of publishers, yeah. I, I should know, know this. I know um, the one you're talking about, but I can't yeah. think of it off the top of my head. Like the Writer's Market? Yes. Writer's Market, Market. Yes. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there's also, there's Query Tracker, which is a website that is like a database of agents. Um, and so if you're Reezy. going that route. Um, sorry, what? Are they, are they attached to Reedsy or? I don't know. But um, I don't know. But uh, it has it's a database that has um, agents that it tells you you know what they represent and um, it's actually like a kind of a social media site like an old fashioned one where um, people can leave uh, comments uh, and some people will uh, will post like their rejection letters you know or the feedback that they got which is useful to you yeah. to see if you know that seems like an agent that you would want to work with. And whether or not they're actually reading it. Because right. sometimes you just get that form letter that says, we are not interested in this time, with no further comment. Yeah, and this can give you a sense of how long they take to respond as well. Yeah. Are these, is this an agent that uh, that responds, you know, the same day you send it? Or is this one that you're going to wait six months for that form rejection or, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. So. Uh, Piers Anthony used to maintain a website that... Um, it was a list of publishers, small press, large press, and vanity press. And and he would review them and say, okay, this one, Publish America, avoid, avoid, avoid. Wow, I did not know he did that. Oh yeah, it was a great resource. And he would update it like every month or so. Well, he's, he's kind of gotten pretty, somehow, isn't he like barely writing now? He's pretty much, yeah, he's pretty much retired. But he became a very big fan of, like Mike Stackpole, like Tim Zahn, like a lot of other authors, like we are much more fans of independent writing now. Uh, they're like, because they get more money, more of their money back. And also they have the backing at this point that they can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to launch a Kickstarter, pay for the cover work, pay for the editor, even though usually they already have a partnership with their editor at that point in their career. But they're like, you know, we've become, they've become much more interested in independent publishing because like it's better for the author in a lot of ways, but it's still seen as not as prestigious as being with a traditional publisher, you know, by a lot of people. And it's harder sometimes to get into source, to get into Barnes and Nobles, to get into the small bookstores. You have to build those alliances. And they said, you know, the, the old method of getting out there was like, oh, Submit a bunch of short stories. Get a bunch of short stories published. Submit to um, contests. I won three flash fiction. I won and came in second and third in three flash fiction contests, which are less than a thousand words. And that was nuts. I mean, trying to make a, a story, build an entire story in a thousand, less than a thousand words. Yeah. And, and what they would do is say, here's a bunch of images, take an image, Write your story based on that, and uh, I became a judge for them before they finally stopped doing them. And I did have a couple of short stories published, and I'm like I don't even know where anymore because it was like what, like years, twenty <laughs> years ago. And um, <clears throat> but it gets your name out there, and it gets it into places that agents are going to see it. You basically build a resume, just like any other job. You build a resume, and then you send that out to agents, publishers, etc. and say, here, this is where I've been published. So they can see a complete story. And now here's my book. Um, but again, it is, what's your timeline? You know, do you want to be out there now and you just don't care? You know, you don't care if it's with a self, at the big publisher, you don't care if it's just ebook, 
or if it's something that you have to order copies of yourself when you want to sell it, um, you know, Kindle Direct is out there. You know, um, there are all kinds of writing conferences like this and like others where you can go and talk to authors and say, well, what do you recommend doing? How do I go about getting it into Barnes and Nobles? How do I go about getting it into traditional brick and mortar bookstores? And how much time do you have to devote to that? Because I know one of the reasons that I keep going the way that I do is I've got three kids I'm raising, taking care of my elderly parents. One of my kids is severely disabled and I have to deal with my ex-wife shenanigans. So, and I have a full-time job on top of all that. So it's like finding time just to write is a pain in the butt. So I'm like, okay, when I get the time, I write. And then I, I have people that I pay that I'm like, okay, here, Amy, cover and format, <laughs> Grammarly, edit, beta readers, have fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you do stuff like this and you, you meet people, you network, and you, you chew their ears. But I mean, what is your end goal? Do you want to see it on a shelf at Barnes and Nobles or do you not care that it's just, I'm going to a convention and I'm selling it myself and maybe... I'll get it in the hands of the right person and it'll blow up or, you know, I'm reviewing stories and a publisher of a small press says, hey, I like your review. Do you want to do more? Oh, you write too? You know, it, it depends on how you want to go about doing it and what your end goal is. If you just want to get a book published and you just want to be able to put it up on a mantle and give it to friends and family and say, look, I published a book. There's vanity presses, you know, but those are dangerous territory because some of them will hold the rights to your books for way longer than you think they will. Which was something I wanted to ask the two yeah. of you about, especially Serena, since you, you you know have the publishing experience. What are red flags to look for when you're looking for a publisher? I I, am, I would never recommend anyone go to a vanity publisher for any reason. I think um, if you know if you want if you just want that that book to give to your friends and family, there's there are ways to do it that are less predatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if a publisher is asking you to pay them, that is a huge red flag. Oh, yeah. How does a vanity press exist? I mean, you can just go to Amazon. And- yeah, it's no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense I, I because think of the promises. Some people they don't know make. better, and and some people I think um, they don't want to undertake all that work themselves. Because mm-hmm. even if you're publishing it yourself, like through Amazon, you still have to handle the cover and making sure you're to the guidelines, and you still have to handle the formatting of the interior of the book. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah, some people are like, oh, I'll just throw money at somebody; they can do it all for me. But right. yeah, and the vanity publishers make it look really appealing. They're like, it's a package deal. Send us nine thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and we'll give you cover and formatting and you know publicity yeah. that they don't end up doing and if you're doing it yourself you have to track down your own cover artist you have to track down somebody that can, you know it's not a package deal and so um and it but it will cost you less than nine thousand dollars yeah should um but yeah i think a lot of people think oh i just just send a check and they'll 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 handle it all but it's a scam oh and the money will come rolling in right and it never does, <laughs> it never does. Yeah. Yeah. so uh, okay so so that's a big one um uh, you shouldn't pay the you shouldn't pay the publisher. The publisher should pay you. Yeah. Um, and another big one is how many titles are they putting out per year? And this is there's two sides of this. If they are hardly putting any books out at all, that's a red flag. You know, if they do if they do like one book a year and it, they put everything into that book, 
and you know that that's just how they work, that's fine. But if it's like it's been a couple of years since they've had a new title, but they're doing open submissions, you know, and, and or they sometimes put out three books and then sometimes only one and then sometimes none, like, the, you know, if it's really inconsistent, um, that's, that's a big red flag. Or if they're pumping out too many books, that's also a red flag. If they've got 30, you know, 30, 60 titles a year and they're just kind of chunk, chunk, uh, you know, chunking them out, um, that can be a red flag because often what happens with small presses is they get too ambitious and they end up with too many projects that they, and, and they end up not putting, uh, not putting their resources into each project. They're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and maybe some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. And that was like when I went with the first uh, yeah. small press, I, you know, I talked to some other authors and my stack ball, I'm like, well, what do I look for here? And it's like, okay, talk to the other authors they publish. Yes. Reach out, talk to the other authors they publish, look for reviews, look for complaints. That's another thing too, if the books have no reviews. Yeah. That's a big red flag. Well, not just not not just look for the reviews on the books, but look on the reviews of the publisher. Because publishers have reviews. Um, even small presses. And I know when I first looked up that publisher, I'm like, ooh, I'm seeing a couple red flags here. You know? And the, the acquisition editor said, look, that's one of the reasons I'm here, is I have taken care of all that. Those are five-year-old reviews uh, from when he first started and didn't know what he was doing. He's cleaned up his act. Look at the, you know, look, and I reached out to some of the other authors and I said, hey, what's your experience been? And for the most part, their experiences were positive. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pull the trigger on this. The second time around with Amy, um, she was just starting it up, but I talked to other authors who worked with her and they said, look, she's got the business train going. She knows what she's doing. She'll be able to handle it. And then once she started working with other people's stuff that she didn't have the passion for, it didn't quite work out. And then the whole movie thing kind of really screwed up. So, and, um, and, oh, so go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, I, I'm going to add on to what you said about looking for reviews um, it be, it because it is important to know if you're dealing with somebody legit or not there are unfortunately plenty of people in the literary world who just want to take advantage of those of us who want to get our words out in front of people um, I about three months ago I got an email out of the blue from uh, an audiobook publisher and I almost deleted it because I was like this is a scam like I'll write yeah. it back and they'll be like send us nine thousand dollars we'll put out your audiobooks so I, I Googled the name of the company and I was like, oh, okay, they're a legit company, okay. And then I went onto Facebook into some of the author groups that I'm in and I, I searched for anybody who had talked about this publisher and I found out that some of the best writers in my genre are with this audiobook company. So I was like, great. So I signed a contract for audiobooks. Nice. Um, but, uh, you know, do your research because you want to be sure that whoever you're working with is going to be somebody that's reputable and that other authors, especially authors in your genre, speak highly of because that yeah. that really is a good indicator of whether or not you should be aligning yourself with, with these publishers and these companies. Um, we are only about 10 minutes until the end. Do any of you have questions? Oh, I have one more. Sure. Okay. Have you had any experience with Patreon or Kickstarter, positive or negative? Uh, actually, the person who really talked to you a lot about that is um, Jessica. Jessica Feinberg. Jessica yeah. Feinberg. If yeah. you go, do you know Jessica? Yeah. Yeah. She is like the queen of Kickstarter projects. Oh, go yeah. chat with her. She's always happy to share her knowledge about okay. what she's right. done. Good to know. Thank I've you. done two Kickstarters, but they were grand anthologies. They weren't for uh, single author titles. 
Um, yeah. But I had I had good experiences with the uh, with the Kickstarter, but it is a ton of work. It and, is, uh, and quite exhausting. So hey, if you're going to run a Kickstarter, um, from what I've talked to with the people who've done Kickstarters for other things, is they say basically be prepared for that to be your full time job during the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Because you are going to be answering questions and getting it out there, and it is a lot of management. And even once it's over, for like a month or two after, they're like, "Yeah, you're 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 sending out all the stuff, and you're doing all the things, and you know, thanking all the people." And they're like, "Yeah." Um, at that point, you kind of hire somebody, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to come back to your original question about the the path that you could try. So my path was very similar to what you were originally describing of like I originally published short stories in like my college literary journal and then I did some you know that were uh, just online and not paid and then you know I kind of worked my way up until I got to like the Sipla you know pro rate and and things like that but I was able to publish a ton of short stories and then and then started <coughs> novels and you know it definitely does what what Esther was saying of it kind of builds your resume and you know it gives gives you the ability to when you send that query letter say hey I've also been published in you know Lightspeed and Dreamforge and you know these, these you know, magazines um, I will say as, uh, as a publisher when I'm reading uh, query letters which I don't do anymore because we don't accept you know queries anymore but when we were open for submissions I would get a lot of queries that had yeah. been published in this place this place this place and I'm like I haven't heard of any of those and so like though that's kind of meaningless um, Unless it's like, you know, the the big magazines that I recognize, and then it's and then I know that I can trust that writer a little bit more, you know, because I, I they've sort of been vetted by by those places. So you know, the the you know, what's on your resume matters, you know, not not just just having credits, um, you know, maybe is good, you know, validation for you, maybe gives you the. Uh, the encouragement to keep going, you know, getting those those acceptances, maybe that's enough. Um, but where you're getting published kind of matters as well. Um, and uh, I had another really smart thing to say about this, and now it's gone out of my head. But I'm going <laughs> to ramble until maybe it comes back. Well, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Follow up on that. So, what do you find out? There's so many places that are taking short stories yes. now, and I'm just getting to oh, there's time. So yeah. How do you know which ones are recognizable? Yeah, so, um, so there's a there's a website called the Submission Grinder, and that's the the good place to go to find uh, find short story markets. The Submission Grinder, so it's a database, and you can search by your genre and by how much they pay and things like that. And um, you know, it's uh, I, social media sort of you know can can help you gauge uh, and you know awards lists. Like who you know, what magazines have short stories and novelettes on the on the awards list, things like that. But mainly, it's like uh, read read the magazine. You read a couple stories from it. Are they publishing stories that you think are quality that you would be proud to have your words next to? You know, and uh, and that's that's really what it, what it comes down to. And sometimes you do look at the off-the-wall places. I mean, let's face yeah, sure. it, Dune was published by a, originally by a car. Parts book is right. like a shawl. Yeah. <laughs> that worked out well for them. I mean, seriously, you know. I remember what I was going to say though. It's um, so that that is one path, right? That you can publish a bunch of short stories and then you know, and then work your way up to novels. But if what you really want to do is write novels, and writing a short story is like you know, 
hard hard for you it's not really what you want to do then don't waste your time with that like there are people who have debuted in traditional publishing with a novel that never had any of that stuff before yeah. yep right so if you know if if you look at that advice of like oh, okay i want to write a book so i gotta start with slasher you do not have to work your way up that way if if you are a big thinker and you have big ideas focus on the novel and don't mess with and, and good writing is good writing. Yes. It yeah. doesn't matter whether or not you've had something published before. If, if an editor or an agent looks at your work and like, this is amazing, that's what ultimately matters, is having that, that good manuscript that you're putting into their hands. Did you have a question? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you, you were kind of answering, so you don't necessarily need uh, to get all these like short stories published and everything before an agent will even consider you. You don't have to. It, but like you said, it, it does sometimes help. help. It can help. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're writing, if the writing sample you send them is powerful enough that they're just like, oh, yes, this is what I want. And that's the thing. You send them the very best thing you've written from the book. Yeah. Even if it's like, you know, that middle section that there's no way they understand what's going on because all this stuff has happened. But God dang, that is a good section of the book, you know, that really showcases your writing. That's what you send them, you know. Um, because that's what I think is like uh, what a lot of the submissions are first three chapters and like a random chapter out of the middle of the book sometimes and it's like that random chapter you're like okay what's the best chapter in the book I know like with this one it's like the, the crash scene I'm so proud of that freaking scene I love that freaking scene you know and um, people are like yeah we love it that, that is such an intense scene that they're like ooh ooh what, what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and it's like especially because it's not like pilot number five it's the main character and you're like wait is he gonna die it's like because it's not the only main viewpoint character it's like is this suddenly gonna shift viewpoints to this character and they're gonna carry the rest of the book because you know it's like razor's edge that he's gonna live and that's the kind of stuff you want to show you want to show what is your where you want to showcase your best you know and this confidence in like this crash scene and how good it is, that is what you have to convey in your query letters. Mm -hmm. um, you have to absolutely believe in your work and believe that it is worthy of being published um, if any agent or publisher is going to agree with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, you know, we, we're raised to be like all humble and stuff, but query letters the place to brag about how great you are oh, yes. and show them how great you are. Um, and I think that, you know, even though it seems like a small detail, I think you have to convey that confidence in anybody that you approach. Not like, oh, well, hey, you know, I wrote a book, maybe take a look. Be like, no, here is the best thriller that you're going to read this year. Check it out. Did you have a question? Yeah, I was just comment. Uh, when I submitted my, uh, I submitted my query uh, letter for uh, the Broadway Project series, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So I looked up every query letter that I could find online. I researched all of them. I took all little pieces out of all of them. <laughs> query letter. And the this is one of the best query letters I've ever read. I mean, when I was querying agents, um, I used the yeah, writer's yeah. market because they have a great little guide at the beginning to how to write oh, a query letter. And I did it like a formula. Yeah. And it's, yeah. There's actually a place online I found where authors share the query letters that got them. Ooh. Yeah, that's really cool. I like yes. that. And you can read it and say, oh, okay, that's what I'm doing wrong. I misspelled my name. I misspelled my name. Okay. And I had to go by the wrong name. For several months until I just heard she was. She oh no! Said, 
Okay, I just go by it. But we're accepting it. We've already accepted it. And that happens all the time. I mean, it, that's like a, a joke of like, you know, people say that happens and it's like, was it Parks and Rec? The guy, Jerry, you know, and his real name is like Gary or whatever. It's like, I know people like that. They get a name their first <laughs> day and everybody just sticks with it, you know. Every every author I've ever talked to, and I ask them about querying, right? And every, none, none of them say they're good at it because, oh, I did that a few times to, and I got one accepted and then that's not a problem so much anymore. Yeah. And, and so no one ever gets good at this. <laughs> is what, is like, that was the impression that I got, okay? Well, and it's the same thing that I'll tell, like you said, you know, be as confident as possible. It's what I tell people when I go to conventions, especially little ones. And when I'm selling my book at a convention, I'm up, I'm engaging, I'm talking to people, I'm being confident. And then you get that person who's just sitting there. It's like, oh, oh you want to be up there. You want to buy my book, you know. <laughs> Y'all, thanks for showing up at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Um, obviously, the three of us were around today. If you have questions and want to come talk to us, I've also got some goodies up here, including a QR code to free short stories and novellas. So thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your con. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok Enroll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two. Actually, biological warfare in space wouldn't be that hard because you're in sealed environments. And if you can introduce something to the uh, uh, environmental control system, it can spread rapidly. Yeah, but I'm kind of thinking of you don't really see a whole lot of stuff that isn't in space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about science fiction, I mean, technically. If you want to get down to it, Frankenstein is science fiction. Oh, that's true. Very early science fiction. Okay, yeah, uh, that is true. That's just a fun one I like to kick out there every once in a while. Science Yeah. Well, when you look at the time, the idea of organ transplants was just becoming like an idea. And so Mary Shelley took that idea and ran with it and said, what is the ultimate expression of that? And it's creating a monster out of spare parts, you know? <laughs> so I'll just kind of act as moderator again. No, it's not bad. Oh, yeah. We're all moving a little slower this morning. There were some good parties last night. <laughs> I didn't get up till almost seven last this morning, so it's late for me <laughs> and I live up in Oro Valley so I had to drive down oh I mean I drove over too but it was not that far yeah well also my girlfriend had to go pick up her daughter take her to a gymnastics meet this morning at 9 30. it's a busy Sunday morning for y'all <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> let me throw something up before we get started that's got a little bit off I read uh, the Writer Magazine and Writer's Digest, mm -hmm. and it seems like they've stopped publishing the last couple of months. Uh, Have they? Apparently the writer, the publisher, Metamore, was uh, purchased by the Jazz 
site called Bebop. They wanted the jazz magazine that they published. And apparently, if you go to the writer website, it just goes to a, the Bebop website and it kind of ends there. Wow. Because wow. Writer's Digest has always gotten like really good. And Writer's Digest, I don't know what happened with them, but I was reading them both on News Plus, and both of them, their last issues were September, October. I went to the Writer's Digest website. It's still there and it says they're still publishing. I tried to subscribe directly, and as soon as I hit subscribe, I hit an error. So I'm not what sure it might be is if they just got purchased, there's probably just a whole ton of reorganization yeah. going on right now. There's probably, you know, they're merging, people are being fired, people are being hired, everything is getting transferred around, and everything's just going to be, I mean, I would give it. Yeah, there's no publicity about it. There's just a couple of people going to WTF. How strange. I wonder if they were affected by the Amazon subscription issue as well. They probably oh, maybe. were. Yes. That's, that's how I was describing to them. With the, the Amazon is no longer offering uh, subscriptions to magazines through through Amazon. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, it really affected things like Clark's World and FNS. I had to go to Patreon to subscribe to Clark's World. Yeah. I had to yeah. do direct subscriptions to Analog and Asimov's and right. FNSF. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Writer's Digest was one that I was getting through that. Yeah, so they made it. That, might, have, that might be part of it, too. If they were really relying on that, and now suddenly that's been taken away, yeah. it's probably taking them some time to be like, okay, how do we do this again? Yeah. Well, and Amazon doesn't give you, you know, as you know, it, customer information. So it's like you, they have no way to know. Oh, yeah, so they have no way of reaching out to their customers yeah. and saying it. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So they're probably, it could just be a reorg issue. I would honestly, in a, in a situation like that, and I work for the government when we have reorgs. It takes six months for anything to get totally settled out. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, it takes time for things to settle out. So I would honestly just give it a couple months and um, just keep checking. Yeah, I mean, if those are if they're gone, that's the end of an era. Serious. I mean, that's what I started. Yeah, I used to go to Walden Books and buy my issue with the record. Yeah. Well, and it might it might also be that you know maybe the company is looking to find somebody to acquire it. You know, if they're focused on the jazz aspect, they don't care about the writing aspect. They might be sitting there going, "Okay, who wants to acquire this thing?" And we're just going to let it languish for now. Until somebody says, no, 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 this has to continue. Kind of like, uh, what's that restaurant that closed? The Boondocks, when that closed. I don't know that restaurant. Uh, it's a wine bar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how sad that it closed. Yeah, it's a wine bar up on like first, but the neighborhood, when it was first built, the neighborhood was like, oh yeah, we're gonna do a wine bar, you know? Now it's like a wine bar. So they it closed and then one of the patrons bought it, reopened it and was like, hey, it's a wine bar, you know, <laughs> and trying to get all you know the hipsters and stuff. And like, hey, it's a wine bar. Come on, you know you want this. It's you know so. Um, no, apparently it's doing pretty well. So, oh, yeah, it's over. Thanks. Yeah, so they reopened and are like it's now Nancy's Boondocks or something like that. But yeah, something like that might happen. They might just be looking to find somebody to buy it because they don't want to deal with it. Especially if they're more focused on the jazz aspect. Yeah, apparently they bought it just for that one uh, jazz magazine there to publish. Because I went to, I found an outdoor photography uh, forum where they had a couple of really good photography magazines that have suddenly disappeared. They're very upset about that. Yeah. It's magazines are more like far and few between than they used mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. Well, a lot of it's gone web based or it's gone yeah. blog based or it's gone to some other format to do it, you know, because publishing a magazine is expensive. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I did a um, 
Fortunately, there was a grant from the government that did it through the library. But it was like two or three hundred dollars to print twenty copies of a poetry chapbook. Hmm. But it was on lovely paper with lovely cardstock with a lino cut cover and the text on the cover that went through a um, an actual press. So I mean, I got my government's money worth. Money's worth out of it. Well, I guess we should go ahead and get started. Um, I expect some some folks who are having a hard time waking up to trickle in as we go. Um,